Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, June 19th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is 20 minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give, pick on the Navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Shalach Lekha, and it means, send for yourself. Numbers 13, 1-15 The Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the twelve ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out twelve men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur, Simeon, Shaphat, son of Hori, Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, Issachar, Egal, son of Joseph, Ephraim, Hosheah, son of Nun, Benjamin, Palti, son of Raphu, Zebulun, Gadiel, son of Sodi, Manasseh, son of Joseph, Gadi, son of Susai, Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali, Asher, Sether, son of Michael, Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vashi, Gad, Yule, son of Maki, One 
About that time, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his army, supported by the chariots and horses of 32 allied kings. They went to besiege Samaria, the capital of Israel, and launched attacks against it. Ben-Hadad sent messengers into the city to relay this message to King Ahab of Israel. This is what Ben-Hadad says, Your silver and gold are mine, and so are your wives and the best of your children. All right, my lord the king, Israel's king replied, all that I have is yours. Soon Ben-Hadad's messengers returned again and said, this is what Ben-Hadad says. I have already demanded that you give me your silver, gold, wives, and children. But about this time tomorrow, I will send my officials to search your palace and the homes of your officials. They will take away everything you consider valuable. Then Ahab summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, Look how this man is stirring up trouble. I already agreed with his demand that I give him my wives and children in silver and gold. Don't give in to any more demands, all the elders and the people advised. So Ahab told the messengers from Ben-Hadad, Say this to my lord the king. I will give you everything you asked for the first time, but I cannot accept this last demand of yours. So the messengers returned to Ben-Hadad with that response. Then Ben-Hadad sent this message to Ahab, May the gods strike me and even kill me if there remains enough dust from Samaria to provide even a handful for each of my soldiers. The king of Israel sent back this answer, A warrior putting on his sword for battle should not boast like a warrior who has already won. Ahab's reply reached Ben-Hadad and the other kings as they were drinking in their tents. Prepare to attack, Ben-Hadad commanded his officers. So they prepared to attack the city. Then a certain prophet came to see King Ahab of Israel and told him, This is what the Lord says, Do you see all these enemy forces? Today I will hand them all over to you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Ahab asked, How will he do it? And the prophet replied, This is what the Lord says, The troops of the provincial commanders will do it. Should we attack first? Ahab asked. Yes, the prophet answered. So Ahab mustered the troops of the 232 provincial commanders. Then he called out the rest of the army of Israel, some 7,000 men. About noontime, as Ben-Hadad and the 32 allied kings were still in their tents, drinking themselves into a stupor, the troops of the provincial commanders marched out of the city as the first contingent. As they approached, Ben-Hadad's scouts reported to him, some troops are coming from Samaria. Take them alive, Ben-Hadad commanded, whether they have come for peace or for war. But Ahab's provincial commanders and the entire army had now come out to fight. Each Israelite soldier killed his Aramean opponent and suddenly the entire Aramean army panicked and fled. The Israelites chased them, but King Ben-Hadad and a few of his charioteers escaped on horses. However, the king of Israel destroyed the other horses and chariots and slaughtered the Arameans. Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, Get ready for another attack. Begin making plans now, for the king of Aram will come back next spring. After their defeat, Ben-Hadad's officials said to him, The Israelite gods are gods of the hills, that is why they won. But we can beat them easily on the plains. Only this time replace the kings with field commanders. Recruit another army like the one you lost. Give us the same number of horses, chariots, and men, 
and we will fight against them on the plains. There's no doubt that we will beat them. So King Ben-Hadad did as they suggested. The following spring, he called up the Aramean army and marched out against Israel, this time at Aphek. Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines, and marched out for battle. But the Israelite army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Aramean forces that filled the countryside. Then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. The Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills and not of the plains. So I will defeat this vast army for you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The two armies camped out opposite each other for seven days, and on the seventh day the battle began. The Israelites killed 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. The rest fled into the town of Aphek. But the wall fell on them and killed another 27,000. Ben-Hadad fled into the town and hid in a secret room. Ben-Hadad's officer said to him, Sir, we have heard that the king of Israel, that the kings of Israel are merciful. So let's humble ourselves by wearing burlap around our waists and putting ropes on our heads and surrender to the kings of Israel. Then perhaps he will let you live. So they put on burlap and ropes, and they began. They went to the king of Israel and begged, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. The king of Israel responded, Is he still alive? Is he my brother? The men took this as a good sign and quickly picked up on his words. Yes, they said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. Go and get him, the king of Israel told them. And when Ben-Hadad arrived, Ahab invited him up into his chariot. Ben-Hadad told him, I will give back the towns my father took from your father, and you may establish places of trade in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will release you under these conditions. So they made a new treaty, and Ben-Hadad was set free. Meanwhile, the Lord instructed one of the group of prophets to say to another man, Hit me. But the man refused to hit the prophet. Then the prophet told him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, a lion will kill you as soon as you leave me. And when he had gone, a lion did attack and kill him. Then the prophet turned to another man and said, Hit me. So he struck the prophet and wounded him. The prophet placed a bandage over his eyes to disguise himself and then waited beside the road for the king. As the king passed by, the prophet called out to him, Sir, I was in the thick of battle, and suddenly a man brought me a prisoner. He said, Guard this man. If for any reason he gets away, you will either die or pay a fine of seventy-five pounds of silver. But while I was busy doing something else, the prisoner disappeared. Well, it's your own fault, the king replied. You have brought the judgment on yourself. Then the prophet quickly pulled the bandage from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. The prophet said to him, This is what the Lord says, Because you have spared the man I said must be destroyed, now you must die in his place, and your people will die instead of his people. So the king of Israel went home to Samaria, angry and sullen. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel, who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, 
I would like to buy it to use as a vegetable garden. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or, if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. What's the matter? his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused, Ahab told her. Are you the king of Israel or not? Jezebel demanded. Get up and eat something and don't worry about it. I'll get you Naboth's vineyard. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters she commanded, Call the citizens together for a time of fasting, and give Naboth a place of honor, and then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions Jezebel had written in the letters. They called for a fast and put Naboth at a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him, and they accused Naboth before all the people, saying he cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, You know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell you? Well, you can have it now. He's dead. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. But the Lord said to Elijah, Go down to meet King Ahab of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He will be at Naboth's vineyard in Jezreel, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed Naboth? Must you rob him too? Because you have done this, dogs will lick the, your blood at the very place where they licked the blood of Naboth. So, my enemy, you have found me, Ahab exclaimed to Elijah. Yes, Elijah exclaimed. I have come because you have sold yourself to what is evil in the Lord's sight. So now the Lord says, I will bring disaster on you and not and consume you. I will destroy every one of your male descendants, slave and free alike, anywhere in Israel. I am going to destroy your family as I did the family of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and the family of Baasha, son of Ahijah. For you have made me very angry and have led Israel into sin. And regarding Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will eat Jezebel's body at the plot of land in Jezreel. The members of Ahab's family who die in the city will be eaten by dogs, and those who die in the field will be eaten by vultures. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight, as Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. His worst outrage was worshipping idols just as the Amorites had done the people whom the Lord had driven out from the land ahead of the Israelites. But when Ahab heard this message, he tore his clothing, dressed in burlap, and fasted. He even slept in burlap and went about in deep mourning. Then another message from the Lord came to Elijah. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has done this, I will not do what I promised during his lifetime. It will happen to his sons. 
I will destroy his dynasty. Acts 12, 24 to 13, 15. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem, they returned, taking John Mark with them. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Maon, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye, and then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. On the Sabbath they went to the synagogue for the services, after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets. Those in charge of the service sent them this message, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. Psalm 137, 1-9 Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, 
Remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Proverbs 17, 16 It is senseless to pay to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from Acts chapters 12 and 13, and then we're going to jump into Psalm 137. And there are two nuggets that I want to uncover in the book of Acts. And we'll start in Acts chapter 12, no, chapter 13, verse 4, where it is written, So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There, in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So notice that as in the early church, as the missionaries are sent out, they are going to the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues, on the Shabbat. And there, there inside the synagogues, they are preaching the word of God. So they're not meeting on Sunday, they're not meeting in Sunday churches, they're meeting in synagogues on the Sabbath. Continuing on in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, it is written, or verse 15. On the Sabbath they went to the synagogue for the services, after the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So even back then, in the days of the early church, just after Yeshua has died and resurrected, when the disciples are being sent out to share the gospel, back then they had the Torah reading cycle. Now, why is that? When the Jews went into exile to Babylon for 70 years, they became extremely disconnected from the temple, from the God of Israel, and from the Torah. They were in a foreign land, and they were as slaves. And so the early fathers um, decided for the people to be able to stay connected to the Torah that they needed to have a reading schedule of, of portions of the Torah to be read every single Sabbath. And they decided we need to have synagogues. We, we don't have a temple, a central temple established anymore in Jerusalem. So let's have local synagogues. So they began to build local synagogues wherever they happened to be. And they had a Torah reading cycle. Thus, the people could stay connected to the Torah and in some way stay connected to the temple through the synagogue. So this practice of the Torah reading cycle is very ancient, and it was in place even in the very early days of the church. 
However, one setback to that or fallback is this. If you only read the Torah reading cycle, you will only get through maybe not even one-tenth of the entire Bible. And you will not read very much of the New Testament at all, very little. And that's a problem, because we need to stay connected to Yeshua, who is our head. He's the head of the body. And so for balance, it is very important to read all of the Bible, not just the Torah reading cycle. So, in times past, in mainstream Christianity, they've put all the focus and emphasis on the New Testament and regarded the Old Testament as not applicable. After all, Yeshua died and he nailed the Torah to the cross, right? Wrong! That's replacement theology thinking. But the other extreme is to only read the Torah reading cycle and very little or no, none of the New Testament. That's the opposite extreme. We need balance. We need all of the Bible from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. And hence, that's one of the main reasons why I began doing the daily audio Torah, was so that we would get that balanced of all of the Bible, not just Old Testament, not just New Testament, but all of it. Now I want us to look at Psalm 137. And this psalm is expressing the grief and the sorrow of the children of Israel when they were living in Babylon in exile. So it's historical, but it's also future prophetic. Let me just read verses 1 and 2 again. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. And their captors are demanding from them a song. Sing us a song, one of those songs of Jerusalem. But their cry and their lament is, But how? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Now, five or ten years ago, not very many of us could really resonate with that feeling, that sentiment. I'm living in a pagan land. Um, you know, Maybe you love where you live in New Zealand or Australia or Canada or Europe or America, somewhere in one of the 50 states, and you're a strong patriot. Five or ten years ago, this sentiment we could not really readily identify with. But today, with the way global tyranny has risen up so quickly through the means of medical tyranny, using lockdowns, quarantines, and mask mandates, as their pretext for seizing global tyranny and power. Now it does feel like we're living in a pagan land. And here in America, I'll speak for uh, for Americans as one person in America, I feel like I am living in a pagan land, especially because our election was stolen, absolutely stolen, ripped out underneath our feet like a rug pulled out from under our feet. And the movie 2,000 Mules by Dinesh D'Souza is only one piece of a mountain of evidence. And there's a lot more evidence, too, as well. Besides the ballot stuffing, ballot boxes being stuffed, there was cyber theft as well. And so we have an illegitimate president in the White House who's absolutely destroying our country. 
Inflation has never been so high. Gas prices have never been so high. Food prices are out of this world. And the economy is being driven down into the ground. It's a pagan land we live in. And it makes it vexes our spirit to be living in this land where such paganism is freely ruling and reigning. It's like the Bible has been tossed into the trash. The basic morals, ethics, and principles of a civil society are no more. Crime is rampant in the cities. Carjackings, crime, violent crime against people. These are difficult times that we are living in. And so we can resonate now with the words and the feelings of the psalmist in Psalm 137. And he goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. And so this is a time of weeping, a time of sorrow and mourning, a time that we know that we know that we know we are living in pagan lands all over the world, and our heart yearns to live in a land and in a kingdom of righteousness and goodness, where good is good, and just a return to the basic laws of land, the Ten Commandments. And there is that day coming when Yeshua returns and he sets up his 1,000-year rule and reign. Ruling from Jerusalem, we will have that time. We will get to enjoy a time and a season with a righteous king ruling from his throne in Jerusalem where there is justice and mercy and loving kindness. And where evil is dealt with. When Yeshua returns, he will deal with the enemies of Israel. And so we cry out, Father, we are living in a land of exile. We are exiled, living in pagan lands all over the world. In Australia, New Zealand, Europe, Canada, the United States, we are living in exile, in pagan lands. And Father, today, We cry out, and we say, Yeshua, please return. Return soon. And we long to live in Israel with you, Yeshua, as our king, with you ruling and reigning. We we long to be in your rulership, with your kingdom, in your kingdom. And Yeshua, we ask that you would give us much grace and, and strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us and strengthen us, for the times that we are living in are very difficult. They are hard. They are a trial. And we become weary in our soul at times. We ask for your strengthening this day, your encouragement this day, your loving kindness. Hover over your people. Pour out your spirit upon them. And fill them anew and afresh with your love and your joy and your peace, with your presence. We ask it in Yeshua's name.
Amen. Adonai Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.